And we are live. Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen. Bienvenidos, senoras y senores. This is the NAI Ball Podcast. Coming to you live right now. It's Tuesday, April 6th, Season 4. Episode 11 is when we are recording this. Our 11th straight week of the NAI Ball Podcast. And of course, all of this is brought to you by our friends over at Silverback Sports. ShopSilverback.com, at ShopSilverback on Instagram, on Twitter, everywhere. You need to be checking them out. Silverback Sports, the official title sponsor of the NAI Ball Podcast. They have been our title sponsor for multiple years now. If you have not done it, you need to go to their website right now. Check out affordable and durable arm care and training essentials that you need for yourself as well as your program. Everything that you could need plyo balls, just any, a rebounder, anything that you need, Silverback Sports has your back. And Silverback Sports has your back because they are NAI made. It's run by NAI coaches, NAI players, former NAI players. They have a hand in the NAI. So you need to support the people who support the NAI Ball Podcast. At Shop Silverback on social, if you have not followed them, do it now, like all their tweets, like all their Instagram picks, and then shopsilverback.com. Do it while you're listening to the NAI Ball Podcast, Season 4, Episode 11. And while you're doing that, if you are not downloading the podcast, you need to be downloading the podcast and download every single episode before this, except the first one. Check all of the episodes out, except the first one. Right now, while you're doing anything, homework, study hall, driving home from practice, it does not matter. You need to be checking them out, and we want to thank you for um, in the last month, in two weeks, over 5,500 downloads of the NAI Ball podcast. That includes every single state in the union, internationally, Puerto Rico, Germany, England, Canada, Mexico, Brazil. I mean, it has been absolutely fantastic to see, of course, a top five market in Kansas City. And with that, we will bring in the foremost authority on NAI baseball, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Cody Butler himself. Cody, baby, what's going on? Oh, man, I'm doing absolutely fantastic. Watching some Braves baseball, talking to you about some NAI baseball. We got two coaches on this week. This is a loaded show. It is a loaded show. We're going to do the shout-outs and mentions thing, our best of week, week in the review. We've got a little bit of discussion going on. Rich Benjamin from Indiana Wesleyan and Kyle Gold from Taylor will join us on the show This is the first time we've got two coaches going head-to-head against each other coming on the show. We'll, of course, separate their interviews to keep them away from each other. But the NAI Ball Podcast Hitter and Pitcher of the Week, our games and series to watch, and then our big series of the week as well. But, Cody, you said you were watching the Braves. I'm watching the Astros on my handheld cellular phone device because I don't get the Astros down here in South Texas. I am considered in market. This is largely a spectrum market. Spectrum does not get the Houston Astros. I'm 350 miles away from Minute Maid Park, and I I have no way to watch them. So uh, MLB's blackout rules are absolutely torturing me. Yeah, you know, they bother everybody. I see anytime MLB TV drops, that's the number one complaint you see. Uh, I'm actually pretty, you know, lucky. uh, The only team blacked out in my area is obviously the Braves. And I watch them on cable. Not a fan of this Bally Sports Fitness cable thing going on across the country. Uh, bring us back Fox Sports Southeast. 
not a fan of Bally's. Yeah, Bally's buying all of the RSNs, all of the regional sports networks, and really uh, taking over everything. And, and they've had some problems with the score bug. They've had some problems with uh, getting somebody's name, getting players' names right in uh, post game, you know, shows. I want to say, or whether it's in game graphics. I mean, it has been a really poor start for for Bally Sports Networks across the country. I want to say that you sent me something this morning from Bally Sports North. Yeah, I mean, they struggled to spell two Hall of Famers. I mean, it was just, it, it's been a mess. You want to give me a quick prediction? I, I know you're not a fan of Bally's. Uh, I'll, I'll let you finish your thought real quick, but after your thought, you want to give me a prediction on your on your World Series champion? Oh, yeah, we'll just jump right into the World Series. It's going to be the Atlanta Braves. Uh, they're going to win the World Series in four. Only going to need four games. I'm going to just, I'll make you happy and say that they sweep the New York Yankees. <laughs> Uh, you're wrong on both ends on both ends. Uh, and, and, you know, in my, in my household, as, as you know, cause my father has, uh, <laughs> my father has sent you a whole two minute video on his thoughts on the Atlanta Braves. Bobby uh, Cox guy. He's a big Bobby Cox guy. Yeah, no, he, he really likes the Braves. Uh, I'm an unapologetic Houston Astros fan. So I am 100% riding with the boys from the H and, uh, I'm I'm 1000% in on that and you know it can't be a rivalry with New York if the other team's never won anything against Houston so you know I'm I'm definitely looking forward I would I would love it if the Braves and the Astros met in the World Series uh and we got to see Chris Burke's home run 470,000 times in in games so uh you're you're rolling with the Braves of course that's your favorite team and I'm rolling with the Houston Astros which anybody who follows me on Twitter knows that uh, I eat breathe sleep digest Astros baseball, you know, top 50 yeah. prospects in my own mind, things like that. Yeah, you're way more serious about the Astros than I am the Braves. Like, I love the Braves. They're the hometown team. But, like, you know, like, I have I have a love for NAI baseball as a whole, and then I have my love for Alabama. Like, I'm a Bama guy. <laughs> you're an Astros guy. I don't lose sleep over it like you do. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, didn't you go to Game 7 of the World Series? I went lost? to the last full attendance baseball game before – yesterday's game at the new ranger stadium i went to game seven of the 2019 world series which was absolutely heartbreaking and we knew that it could be heartbreaking but it was it was you know cody man it was probably one of the greatest experiences of my entire life is getting to go to that and experience the world series firsthand uh and and just take that in and see, you know, with my father, you know, we, I literally bought the tickets the morning of game seven because I knew I was not going to get any work done. I was looking at StubHub. I said, I can afford this. Uh, it was a stupid number, but um, it, it, was, it was double the cost of my UT season tickets. And we went and it was the most incredible experience. And, and you know, even though it wasn't the way we wanted it to work out, you know, working in West Palm Beach and and doing spring training for two straight years for both teams, the, the Nationals and the Astros. I I was happy for the people that I knew in the Nationals organization and uh, you know them getting their first World Series championship. I, I wish it was another way, but it was still the most incredible thing I've ever been to. And of course, while we were talking about the Astros, Carlos Correa hits his first home run of the season. We're up on the Angels in the top of the ninth. I'll take it all day. But Cody, man, let's jump into some shout outs and mentions, brother. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about this week. We've got two interviews, and we've got a lot of things to highlight. We'll kick things off 
with Point Park University head baseball coach Lauren Torres wins his 500th career game after a midweek sweep over Fisher. The Pioneers have won 15 straight at the time of this recording. Mid-American Nazarene head baseball coach Ryan Thompson earned his career victory number 400 after a conference win over Evangel on Friday. College of Idaho head baseball coach Sean Humberger won number 600 over the weekend in a conference tilt over Corbin. USAO starting pitcher Ricardo Velez threw a no-hitter with 15 punch-outs. Ottawa catcher Elliot Antonetti went 5-for-5 five five with three home runs and seven RBIs and a wild conference win over Bethany. His 15 total bases is a new high in the NAI this season for a single game. Missouri Baptist pitcher Matthew Hess threw a no-hitter with eight strikeouts in the conference win over Lyon. Mobile freshman Tucker Musgrove hit three home runs in the series finale over Bruton Parker. His third home run on the day was a ninth-inning walk-off shot that clinched the 2-1 to one series win. Waldorf pitcher Sam Jones threw a no-hitter with seven punch-outs in the conference win over Dakota State. Valley City State freshman catcher Dustin Mertz homered in five of six games last week. He went 11 of 19 with two home runs, or excuse me, with two doubles, five home runs, and 11 RBIs. St. Andrews starting pitcher Davis O'Brien threw a nine-inning one-hit shutout with 10 Ks in the conference win over Bluefield. Warner's John Pickman went four for four with three home runs in the series finale over Weber. The University of Tampa transfer now has 12 home runs and 43 RBIs for the Royals this season. And then shout out to intern in Columbia College as reliever Connor Darnell recorded three saves over the weekend got to give a shout out to intern cody what caught your eye i mean obviously anytime you have three no hitters it's pretty special stuff uh ricardo velez one of the nastiest sliders in all of nai baseball Uh, i mentioned him as being one of the top players i saw in lewiston in 2019 he actually made that all world series team as a reliever uh just nasty slider man really good stuff uh congrats to him and then shout out to intern man uh, six saves on the season. He's tied for third in the country, and they started super late at Columbia, so he's already racked up six saves now. Uh, it's his senior year. I know he wants to go out with a bang, and he's pitching really well. I think he has like nine straight appearances without giving up a run, so I mean, I'm proud of intern. Let's jump into our week in review, Cody, and we're going to do it a little bit differently this week as it's going to kind of mesh into our uh, discussion as well, but two teams this weekend had huge series wins, and they're the two teams that we're going to highlight right now. But first, Loyola defeats Faulkner two games to one, 10 to six on a Dennis Allen walk-off grand slam to beat Faulkner in game number one. Faulkner bounces back, four to three win for Faulkner, a big one. But then Loyola, game three, jumps right back into it, and they run rule Faulkner in eight innings, 14 to four. Cody, this was a, a big discussion you between you and me internally uh, and it was something that we had highlighted on the show a little bit last week, but this was a huge series win for Fall, or excuse me, for Loyola. Yeah, massive series win for Loyola. First time they've taken a series off them since 2006. Uh, they've been playing well. Like we mentioned, they swept William Carey. You know, they got our attention. I mean, obviously you already had eyes on them being Kennedy's guy, but really got my attention when they swept William Carey. I was like, okay, all right then. And then they go out there and win the series over Faulkner. The way they did it, Really impressive stuff. I mean, he scored the 27 runs in the series. Alan Dennis, the first game, to have two home runs in the game, six RBIs against Faulkner. They put up a 10 spot. Really, you know, kind of stunned everyone across the nation. Took that Friday night game. But for game three, Faulkner led three to two in the fifth. And then you see Loyola just offensively explode. Uh, Four in the sixth, four in the seventh, and four in the eighth to run rule them. I mean, you just put up 12 unanswered. Really impressive stuff for Loyola, who is now – you're looking at it only a month left in the season, legitimate contenders to win this conference. 
Frios has been fantastic on the year. Seven innings pitch, five hits, three earned runs, two walks, 11 strikeouts, threw 133 pitches in that game. And, and of those five hits, really, it was two home runs that, that bit him in that game. And that's a big, that's not a small ballpark. I don't know what way the wind was blowing out, but it's usually a crosswind there uh, that, that really doesn't help anybody. But Frias was fantastic in that game. And he actually had runners on the corners with the two-hole hitter up for Loyola, got the strikeout to end the game, uh, was emphatic about it as he absolutely deserves because he's been absolutely fantastic this season. He has turned into a complete and total you know, ace for that team, and and he's looked every single part of it. I mean, that ERA just does not do him justice with a 307, but he's 6-0 on the year in seven starts and 41 innings pitch. He's got 67 punch outs. Opponents hitting below 150 against him. He's absolutely fantastic. But you you hit on something as well is uh, I am a, a product of the Jeremy Kennedy School of Baseball. And, you know, Coach Kennedy and I were together in, in multiple roles for six years. And so I knew that Loyola could be something special. And he has a knack for taking programs that have not been great uh, in in their time. I mean, in the Stats era for Loyola, the, the – most wins in a season is 26. And then on top of that, I only see Cody. I mean, there's like been like one winning season ever, if you don't count 2020. So this is a program, a lot like what we did with Kaiser and where we went to Kaiser in 2015, won the school's first ever conference title in the first year, went to a regional and went one and two. Second year, we win the conference tournament. We needed to win the conference tournament to get into the tournament. Win the conference tournament going away. We had several, I think every game we put up 10 plus runs. Uh, Win the conference tournament, go to an opening round, and reach the championship game and get walked off on by AUM, who had a, a heck of a World Series that year. And then in year number three in 2017, win another regular season title, win an opening round, and go to the World Series, and of course you get matched up with LC in that first game, and anything can happen, and that's not really what you want to see. But this is a ball club that's, you know, putting up its most runs per game ever. If you take out 2020, which is a COVID year shortened season, it's most runs per game ever. Uh, you know, they're they're a team that's going to have their best ERA likely in school history. Stephen Bruce does a heck of a job. Stephen, we we talk about Colton Williams all the time. Stephen Bruce is a guy that reminds me of Colt Williams because he was undefeated in college. Now he didn't spend all four years or, you know, three years or, or however long, you know, we want to say Colt Williams has been there COVID year included, but he was two years at Kaiser, two years at Oklahoma. And he was absolute nails at Oklahoma, never lost a game at, at Oklahoma, pitched in a regional, you know, was absolutely fantastic. Goes to Kaiser, does the same thing, gets picked up by the Texas Rangers. Uh, goes as far as the Arizona Fall League, which, of course, is a huge prospect league. Uh, gets hurt, doesn't recover from injury. Joins Coach Kennedy at Loyola, and they are building something absolutely special. And that is one of their – there are schools like this in the NAI where it takes a certain grade point average to get into that school. And Loyola is one of those schools. And so it's a different caliber. It's like Rice. You know, where the Rice at Rice in Texas in Houston, you have to have that certain GPA to get into Rice and be a high caliber baseball player. So that's what they're trying to build at Loyola. And, and um, really, we're starting to see glimpses and flashes of it. And it's it's great. And I, I can tell you right now that if you're a Loyola kid listening into this, 
you know, if you buy into the system, I can guarantee you it works because I'm, I'm a product of the system and, and I'm a, I'm a guy who still takes the values of the system with me everywhere I go and everything I do. And so I'm, I'm absolutely excited because Faulkner has been so dominant uh, ever since I was in the NAI 2012, 2013, 2014, Faulkner has just been so good and they are still a really good ball club. And so it's a huge series win for Loyola, Cody. I mean, yeah, think about it. This is a team that you've played every year since 2005. And I mean, the only time, the last time you won a series off of them was 2006. I, I don't know about you, Robbie, but I wasn't even in high school in 2006. So, I mean, that's just a really long time ago. You mentioned the offense and it's noticeable. I mean, it's really noticeable the difference. In 2019, they scored 264 runs in 54 games. In 2018, they scored 263 runs in 57. They already have 230 in 32. I mean, they're mm-hmm. probably looking at 55, 60 games this year. I mean, they're possibly looking at 60. So, I mean, they're going to shatter their run potential. Obviously, they're going to break the most runs scored in program history. They're hitting the ball really well. Players like Alan Dennis have obviously played a large part in that. The guy absolutely crushes the baseball. I mean, can we talk about how far that home running hit went? Everything, I mean, every time he hits it. one, it, yeah, it looks like a nuke, doesn't it? I mean, it really does. I mean, the guy crushed the ball. I mean, it went into the orbit. I mean, it was a no doubt. You can't win a game any more like better than that. It hit a walk-off grand slam, and it was an absolute no doubter. Like, you know right away. Uh, shout out to Loyola, man, to just do it at home, too. I'm really impressed with, you know, obviously Jeremy Kennedy's a winner. He's proven it. And just you see the turnaround. Like you said, this is a team that's lost 30 games a year every single year except twice. I mean, in the two years they didn't, they lost 28 and 24. This year, they are 23 and 9. I mean, this is William. Remember William Jessup a couple of years ago? Now, let's be honest. Loyola was better than William Jessup was, so their floor wasn't as low. They were always a little bit better than William Jessup was. But, man, he is, the turnaround is very similar. You bring in a winning coach, like they brought him with McKinley. Loyola's bringing in a winning coach with Kennedy, and you're seeing the results right away. Hats off to them. Yeah, absolutely. They, they Loyola brought in a guy who had stepped away from the game uh, for a little bit and – really is one of two active coaches, Adrian Dinkle, the other at Southeastern, who took Southeastern and Sterling to the NAI World Series. There's only five coaches in NAI history who have taken two teams uh, to the World Series, two different schools to the World Series. And Jeremy Kennedy and Adrian Dinkle are them. And I can tell you right now, you know, I I said it on Twitter the day that Loyola hired him. They became one of the most popular programs in the nation just because of the, the amount of guys that when I post something on Instagram about Loyola, the amount of guys in my DMs who are like, where can I watch a Loyola game? How can I watch a Loyola game? You know? And so it's, it's really great to see. And, and uh, I think that's a, that's probably their biggest series win in school history at this point. And I'm really interested to see that they really hold their destiny, Cody. It's in their hands. What are they going to do with it now? Because the season doesn't end after Faulkner. Yeah. And that's the crazy thing. And it's going to be tough because you, like you said, I mean, you took the series over Faulkner, but you only game up on Faulkner. So you got Faulkner, you still have to worry about in your back door. You got Faulkner, you got middle Georgia state, you got mobile. All four of those teams are kind of like not too far off and they're really good teams. And you know, Faulkner, man, they're going to just keep winning. This isn't the first time Faulkner's ever dropped a regular season series and won that conference. Like, I mean, Faulkner's dropped conference series at mobile before they dropped series at Cary, And then they go on, win the conference, win the opening round and go to Lewiston. So this is not a big deal for Faulkner. That's why we spent most of our time here talking about Loyola, because the takeaway here for me is it's bigger for Loyola than it is for Faulkner. Faulkner's nineteen and four. Yeah, Faulkner's nineteen and four. I think they're going to sweep a doubleheader over Columbia International today. They're going to get their twentieth win. Like they're twenty and four. They're fine. They're going to host an opening round in Montgomery. Like we're not worried about Faulkner, but it just and Faulkner going to Lewis and baby. But yeah, I just think that 
Loyola is starting to prove they're starting to become a really good team. And this is good for the Southern States because, man, they needed it. I mean, you lose Auburn, Montgomery. Let's be honest, this conference is not as good as it used to be from like a couple of years ago. It's just not. So yeah. I think that it's uh, it's good for the conference that Loyola is stepping up. It became really top-heavy, and it has really started to become a little bit closer, and that's great for everybody involved in the Southern States. Cody, next series, Kaiser Southeastern. Southeastern sweeps Kaiser 5-4, 8-4, 16-12, and asserts their dominance at the top of the Sun Conference. One that we kind of like thought that might play out this way would Pablo Revelo pitched really well. Uh, he was leading three to one in the seventh inning, pitched really well. A couple of guys reached, and then you give up the three run home run to Pedro Castellano, who's tied for the RBI lead in the nation. Has 57 RBIs. The guy has just been raking for them. Uh, but yeah, Castellano hits the three run home run. They go up four to three. Uh, shout out to Tim Bouchard, who had a great day. Tim Bouchard started this series with five straight hits. I mean, he's proven why he's an All American. Tim Bouchard hits a solo home run. They tied up the game's 4-4. Uh, Mercado hits the walk-off for Southeastern. They win 5-4. And just a similar game, too. You know, Kaiser goes up 4-0. Southeastern responds with eight straight. They win 8-4. Southeastern is just – I don't think we give enough credit to how good this program has been since Tinkle has taken over. They've won 50 games every single year. 50, 59, 53. They're going to win 50 this year, no question. This is such a juggernaut program we got to give credit to where it's due. I mean, they're literally just an incredible team. Like, I can't say enough about them. Every time they get down, they are a team in NEI baseball that the one team, if I could pick, they're losing, I'm not worried about it. They will come back. They have shown it time and time again. It doesn't matter how much you lead by, they will trim it down. You have to pitch to them for nine innings. That's what's killer about those Sun Conference games, as you know, Robbie. you mm-hmm. got to pitch to them all nine innings. You Three can't nines. Yeah, you can't get a seven-inning win against this team. Yep. And they're going to get to hit at home. Yeah, it's just not going to happen, man. This looking like a team that's going to be in Lewis. They're playing really good baseball. They've played a good schedule. They've played some really good teams. They've had some close games. But, again, you they get down and you don't worry about it. It, it really it doesn't cross your, your mind and you think, oh, you know what, they're going to – if. Of their three losses, two of them are in conference to Sun Conference teams. One's to Freed Hardeman, and they have looked really, really good this year. And what they've got remaining is they still have one more big series with St. Thomas coming up at the end of the month. They will play STU, but up next for them is going to be USCB. They don't play. I don't see a midweek on Dax Stats. Of course, we don't know. Uh, Dax Stats hasn't always been correct, but uh, we know SCU, and they're usually on top of their stuff. So. They play USCB this weekend, Edward Waters, Florida Memorial, and then we get that St. Thomas matchup before they close out their conference season with Ave Maria. I don't see them, Cody, dropping many more this year. No, I mean, like I said, this is a team that we feel good about that's going to win 50 games, go 3 to know in opening round, and go to Lewiston. I don't think there's any questions about it. I mean, this is a team that's scoring over 10 runs a game, and I think the way they play – because like they don't have to just beat you with a home run. Obviously, they're going to hit home runs because of where they play. Um, but I think that they, they have a lot of different ways they can beat you. I don't know that they have the best starting rotation in the NAI, but I do think they have the most quality arms out of the pen in the NAI. I think they have the best pitching depth. They have so many different guys that can throw over 90. I think they can mix it up. They have lefty righties. Uh, I just think they're super deep in the pen. And when that comes into tournament play, I think that's where you're going to see Southeastern shot. They're going to have the elite offense to go with their bullpen which is really stellar. I mean, their bullpen is absolutely stellar. And yeah, I mean, I think Southeastern is going to be a really tough out. Cody, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the Black College World Series, the HBCU World Series. Uh, It is going to be something that I think is going to be good for the game. I think it's going to give HBCU 
teams uh, an extra opportunity to play. Uh, it's going to be this year. It is going to be four NCAA Division II teams that are all HBCUs and four NAI baseball programs. It'll be at Riverwalk Stadium, uh, which is in Montgomery, Alabama, uh, home to the Montgomery Biscuits, AA affiliate of the Tampa Bay Rays. It'll be two divisions, one division of four of the four D2 teams, one division of the four NAI teams where they're playing each other in a double elimination format. And the D2 winner will play the NAI winner in that. And that'll be the HBCU Black College World Series. The issue with it, Cody, is the timing. April 28th to May 1st. Now, it's not exactly conference tournament time. I looked up the AII today because the first team that comes to my mind is Talladega. I, I think that would be the first team that comes to your mind as well, right? Absolutely. First thing is like, all right, Talladega, because they've been consistently our best HBCU. Yeah, so Talladega is the first team that comes to my mind. I actually reached out to um, Marcos Dominguez uh, not knowing that they were playing. So we don't have a comment from him yet at the time of recording. Uh, we're looking forward to to getting that from him. But it's kind of weird timing because that's the last weekend of the regular season. And so, in you know, there are enough HBCUs out there playing right now. It'll be really interesting to see who they choose to play in this from the NAI. And if they've got games scheduled already, because while the AII tournament is not till the next weekend, if you have already games scheduled and you have a guarantee or something like that, you know, for Talladega, it might not be a big of a deal because it's an AII program and they can, you know, they're, they're independent. They can do as they please with their schedule. But somebody like a Harris Stowe State or a Jarvis Christian uh, that is an HBCU you know, is kind of in a tougher spot. Uh, a Stillman, I, I think Xavier, Louisiana this year is not eligible for postseason play being their first season. I don't know how that works for them or if they're an AII. I'm, I'm not sure how it works since they're already established with other sports in the Southern States Conference, uh, or at least what I, I believe they're in the Southern States. So I, I'm not exactly sure who they're going to pick but it's kind of a weird timing thing because you would imagine that this would be more postseason uh, type of deal after the conference tournament. But this is the literally going to happen the last weekend of April, the first uh, first couple first day of May, and it's just kind of strange uh, overall timing for this for this tournament. But it's an idea that I absolutely love because it's just more NAI baseball games, and I love the format even more where we're pitting D two against NAI there in the final. Yeah, that's my absolutely favorite thing about it. You're getting four NAI, four D2, and you get a winner versus winner. I absolutely love that. Like you, when I saw the date, my first thought was, okay, Talladega and Edward Waters, they're two of our better NAI HBCUs, but they're both going to be around that AI tournament at that time. Now, you see the date's a little bit off. Uh, you mentioned Jarvis Christian. That was another one in the Red River. I was like, okay, Jarvis Christian, they're another good one. I love the concept. I think I'm all for it. I'm all for shining a light on HBCUs. And now I'm looking forward to it. I really do hope that we get to represent some of our better schools because some of the HBCUs in NAI are really good. I mean, Talladega's made opening rounds. Jarvis Christian's made opening rounds. So, yeah, I think this is a great way to showcase these talents. Absolutely. I'm really interested to see uh, who they pick. And, you know, we would not have seen that if that was not for uh, Black College Nines on Twitter. So uh, credit to them for making sure. Uh, for putting that article out there. Cody, I want to talk really quickly. I know we've got plenty going on today, but really quickly, the NAI National Tournament. So much coming up with that, and uh, we, we're getting more and more bow chips out there. But really, the reason I want to bring this up is because the NCAA at the Division One level announced that they are going to predetermined regional sites 
And there was outrage, absolute carnage on social media yesterday over this. And my first thought was, this is what we do. And I've, I've been, a, I think you're, you know, you hear me rail about it more than anyone because I have more access to you. I don't have a microphone in front of me every single day. My biggest gripe is the fact of that we are willing to go away from this style of tournament uh, that we have, which is the closest thing to Division One. But as soon as the NCAA went to regionalize predetermined or predetermined regional sites, I, there were a lot of upset people, man. Oh, they were livid. I mean, you sent it to me. I think it was Kendall Rogers that put out the tweet. Oh, yeah, people were freaking out. Uh, people that shouldn't even be freaking out. I saw a guy at Eastern Carolina family freaking out. It's like, dude, you're not going to host a regional anyway. But they might. Uh, in the old system, they might, but uh, you know, I don't know what their baseball facilities are like. I know they've got a great baseball team. Uh, are they going to like uh, great enough to host a regional? Uh, that's that's the thing. That's the thing, though. Is in the old system for the NCAA, you would know they have the opportunity to be one of the sixteen regional hosts. But in this new predetermined site, you have to figure that all it's going to be all Power Fives. Yeah, you would think so. I mean, you would think so. I mean, that's just where the money is. I think it is kind of funny because, you know, this is the way we're going about it. This is how we're doing it here in the NAI as well. I mean, you have voiced our opinions. We're not a fan of it. I'm not a fan of, like, you know, we have the no-fly rule in the NAI this year where, like, everyone has to bust to their opponent, and obviously it's going to create the regionalized D2 format you harp on over and over again. Yeah, I'm not I'm not a big fan of that, you know, and, and because I think it's going to limit the amount of teams out west that we could see, not just in postseason. It's not about, you know, I just don't want to see a, a – an opening round tournament where it's only teams from the West, and then we miss out because we've got four teams in the same conference playing each other in, in one Cal Pack. That's going like, to happen, though, right? I mean, because in the GSAC, I mean, I don't know what you're going to. Here's my thing. So if we're not flying this year, because we I've talked we talked about it off air. I've seen Westmont and Lawrenceville. I know Vanguards went to Faulkner. I know William Jessup, Jessup. went to St. Thomas. So if they're not flying this year, you have to put them in a California. Like, who else is going to host? Maybe you get a Ben Mesa host a bracket. Okay, but then it's like the same team. You're going to get the Calpac and the GSAC together. I don't think there's any way around that. I think that's happening. Yeah, I, I just hate the regionalized idea. I know that there are people on our side that, that don't like it either that are important uh, coaches nationally. I know that there are people who are fighting against it. Uh, you know, and, and we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to do. I just don't like the idea. And and there, I don't like the auto bid either, Cody. I mean, there's one, you know, conferences being rewarded based on the amount of teams when they should be rewarded on the baseball that they play. You know, there, there are conferences that have two teams above 500 records that are, that get two bids this year. You know, there are conferences that are literally called the association of independence that get two bids. You know, uh, and maybe that's because I, I I grew up around an independent program at the D1 level, and I grew up in that locker room, but there was no chance for them. You know, uh, Pan Amer- Texas Pan American in the, in the 80s won 60 games in a season and didn't go to the national tournament because they were an independent program. It's really, really, really hard to make that, you know, uh, to make that jump. And then we, we treat the AII, the Association of Independents, like it's a conference. So we just need to change the name of that and make it a conference. Because it's the same teams plus like a few scragglers each year. The one thing you mentioned, I know you didn't want to call them out, and that's why we won't call them out. But there is a conference at the start of April that had, you have two teams now, but had one team over 500. And we're sitting there going, man, who is going to 
win this conference. And then you think, man, another one of these teams is going to make the opening round tournament. Like there's going to be like a Ben Mason a couple of years ago, a 40 win team, not going to make a tournament. Because that's, one of these teams that's, that's the problem. And here's the thing. It's like, when you look at their records and the one thing I want to, the point I want to make is like, it's one thing if you're beating each other up in conference, that's not the case. These teams are going out of conference losing and then coming back because they only, they only played two weekends of conference plays this particular conference. So it's like, you got teams that are branching out losing coming back playing each other they're all sub 500 and then somehow two of them are going to make the field it's just like whoa yeah and usually things are a little bit different but it's just been a really it's i just i just don't like the auto bit i don't like the system of rewarding teams based on the amount of teams that you have in your conference and i don't know if other sports like it i can tell you that there are basketball coaches that don't like it because they do the same thing. Can you imagine? Uh, basketball's got more teams. You know, uh, you take the Sun Conference. I, I believe the Sun Conference at the basketball level is is a two-bid league because you've got Coastal Georgia in there. Uh, you know, I, I just, I think, I'm not sure. I don't think USCB has basketball. So, you know, it's it's one of those things where there are a lot of te- more teams at the basketball level as well. And then overall, you know, Cody, I just, man, alive. I just don't, I just don't like the auto bid. I'm oh. not a fan of it. Uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think we should. And it's, it's not based on the conference or you know, it's not based on well, this conference has been here longer or anything like that. It is literally just based on oh, you have more teams, congratulations, and we're going to get a team that's going to be left out. And Southwestern Christian is getting, you know, they're 32 and four right now, and Cody, they are on the outside looking in. Well, I mean, another thing we can go to, strength of schedule matters. That's for another day. Speaking of strength of schedule and speaking of auto bids, my favorite topic of the day, Robbie, America's team, Lewis Clark State. Speaking of the auto bid, we've been good, by the way. I just want to pat us on the back. This is the nicest year we've yeah. ever been we, to we, them. No auto bid joke. Not a single auto bid joke on Twitter. Type I in even tried to call Jake ball. Taylor. Yeah, that went well. They're not yeah, a fan of us. We won't get into that one. Yeah, my goodness. But, um, yeah, so we've been super nice to Lewis Clark State this year. Man, their their schedule is really, really bad. They're gonna 32 straight games, the World Series playing 32 straight games under 500 opponents. Their schedule is really bad. It's gonna make for a pretty seed, though. They're gonna get a four or five. And yeah, I mean they're they're not gonna lose again, nor should they. I mean they don't play anybody that they should lose to. But I hate the auto bid, but I do think Lewis Clark State's really good this year. They're scoring like 39 runs a game. They're going to be an auto bid. I do think that they're going to get a high seed, though. I think you're starting to see it. Like, they're creeping up. The boat ship's starting to creep up a little bit. And I think that they're going to play themselves into a high seed. And why does that matter? It matters. Trust me, it matters. Mm-hmm. Last year, why did LC go out early? Because they had a high seed. Or they, they had a low seed. They were the 10th seed in the tournament. And it's not a coincidence. That was their first Memorial Day exit in, like, 30 years. And so this year... You get them a high seed, they win that night game. Because let's be honest, they're going to win that. If they're a four seed, bank it. They're winning that Friday game. Oh, it's going to happen. They're going to get the 7 o'clock night game. They're going to have the crowd behind them. The opposing pitcher is going to be a stud conference pitcher of the year who has like a 2-1 ERA. And then he's not even going to get out of the second. Because like that's how it works out there in Lewiston, man. You just you kind of crumble under that environment. And, I mean, it, it spells trouble. Yeah, it is hard. It's and this hard. spells trouble. I mean, if, if you play LC in that three spot, watch out. Because that's a team that could win the national title. It's going to be really interesting, and I have a lot of I have a lot of faith in our our committee, um, because I have to, because I have to, Cody. 
let's be honest. Our committee doesn't want LC going home on Monday. That's not good financially. That's all I'm going to throw out there. They 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 may want LC to play into Wednesday a little bit just for tickets. Yeah, I just no, I I I just you know we do so many things so well, and then we we and I'm looking forward to next year. Not the regionalized play, but I'm looking forward to next year because I think it's going to open up. You know, does it open up some more? playoff spots you know it it maybe some more i believe it's actually the same amount of at large bids i just don't understand how how we go from we are the total opposite of the way that d1 does it we have a chance to do it like they do it we have the best non-division one baseball tournament in the nation as far as how the tournament works we're going away from it currently it's it that's we're actively going away from it and we do it the opposite of Division One, though. That's that's my biggest problem with this, is where we should be giving more at large bids and creating the best tournament possible. We are creating less at large bids and keeping forty win teams out of the postseason uh, because they play in a conference with nine games. You know, uh, c- playoff baseball in the NAI is high intensity. It's do or die. It is one of the greatest things on the face of the earth. It is my favorite time of the year because every single pitch is live or die, whether you're in the dugout, in the stands, on the call, coaching the game. It does not matter. It is one of the most adrenaline rush things I've ever done to run on that field in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, to celebrate a regional championship. It is one of the greatest moments of my life to do that with my brothers. It's one of the greatest moments of my life to do that. It is one of the greatest moments of my life to be there in Lewiston and get to represent my city, my state, you know, um, and and the great city of Cedar Hill, Texas, and the state of Texas, and as you know, the only team that year in in the NAI uh, from that state. You know, it, it's it's an amazing feeling, and we just there are so many times where we just don't give each other. We don't. We're going further and further and further and further and further away from that that type of tournament Cody. And it's just, it's, it's bothersome. It's bothersome as somebody who does, who does this for a living. This is what we do. You know, we, we each have, you know, actual things that we do, but you know, uh, this is, this is what I do to keep myself sane. And this is what I love. And this is, I'm an NAI lifer. I'm an NAI lifer. You're an NAI lifer. And so, you know, it's hard for us to, from a perspective that cares and loves this division to see that. We just have to play it out with the way we got the cards are how they are. Uh, I'm just looking forward to conference tournament time regardless because even though they, we don't like that they get these bids, it sure does make it fun. I mean, it makes the conference tournaments a lot more fun. Uh, it makes people playing for runner-up spots. I know the AAC, the tournament runner-up gets a bid, so just using them as an example, that's fun, man. Like I've seen teams like Point. I've seen teams like Union over the years get hot. I saw Point team. So let's use Point for an example. I guess here's a counter to it. 2016, Point, 500 baseball team. They were like 28 and 28, uh, make their conference tournament win their conference tournament, go into an opening round as a five seed, punch their ticket, and go to Lewiston. So I'm all for Cinderella stories like that if they can make it happen. That is an anomaly. We've never seen It is seen the this. only one to ever. It is the only one to do. I was about to say. So that is the anomaly. It does not happen. Uh, shout out to 2016 point. Hopefully we find another one, though. Like I said, if you're going to give these teams a chance, hopefully we get a story. Like Baker was a fun story last year, too. Baker in the heart tournament. They snuck in as the eighth seed in the play-in game, won the tournament, got to go to an opening round. So the opening round to me is still my favorite three days in sports. It is absolutely fantastic. Cody, we have back-to-back interviews coming up right now. Let's kick things off with the head baseball coach at Indiana Wesleyan.
coach Rich Benjamin joins us now on the NAI Ball Podcast. Joining us now on the NAI Ball Podcast, all the way from Indiana Wesleyan University, is the head baseball coach himself, Coach Rich Benjamin. Coach, man, super excited to have you on with Cody and I and joining us here on the NAI Ball Podcast. Thank you for joining us and taking some time out of your day. Thank you for having me. Coach, you know, I kind of wanted to start at Judson, which is where you really started, I believe, your head coaching career. Uh, it was something that really kind of took off for you there, because I do believe you are the head you know, the winningest coach all time at Judson, and you're an NAI lifer guy yourself. You played NAI baseball, uh, and you moved into the NAI ranks rather quickly as well. Yeah, I mean, Judson was a really, really awesome experience um, getting hired there in October of 2007, 27 years old. And, um, you know, there were some challenges, uh, but we had a really supportive administration. And then obviously, you know, over those eight years, um, had a chance to coach a lot of a lot of really fun players, and, and we had a lot of really good experiences together. Coach, uh, you know, you won the CCAC three times. You made the opening round a total of five times. What was what was your experience like making that opening round? I know you've made it before uh, at, you know, Indiana Wesleyan. Obviously, we've played, we, were, we played against each other in 2016, but tell me a little bit about your experiences there at, at Judson, which was kind of, you know, your first real ride that led to this role at IWU. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot, everything that, that happened there for the most part was a first, you know, and so it was really cool for the guys to be a part of that. The foundation of the team, you know, were four-year guys, and then uh, we had a handful of transfers uh, mixed into that, and those guys, I mean, they played really hard for each other, and they showed up really well every day, and um, it was just kind of cool. It's like, you know, it was the first time the program won 30 games, and the first time they won 40, and first time getting to an opening round and um, the year that they lost to, to York and we were a game away from the series. I mean, that was a, it was a really fun ride. And I think we all have really good memories from that time and that we still share with each other. And, uh, and then obviously for all of us, because we were all so young, the players and myself, I mean, it was a good learning experience too. And I want to kind of go back to, you know, some of your experiences already at IWU making the tournament in 2016. You you won a regular season title in 2018. You were a six seed, finished as co-champs of the conference tournament in 2016 with Taylor. You made the opening round. And, uh, you know, we got to play each other there in 2016 when I was at yeah, Kaiser. And uh, that was a heck of a game. I, I want to say the final was two to one in that one. It was a low-scoring game. Uh, we threw a freshman, Caleb Eater. Uh, who was a two-way guy for us, and uh, he was a right State commit out of high school. And I think Eater went – he might have went eight innings in that game, and we were still in it when he came out. He ended up being the conference player of the year uh, in, the, in the Crossroads League his senior year, and uh, he became the all-time leader in a lot of categories here at Indiana Wesleyan um, as well. But I remember that game, and, and that was a really fun group. We had about 12 seniors. Boy, they were really coachable. And uh, a lot of fun things happened that year. And we went into the conference tournament having to get to the championship game to go to the national tournament. And we lost the first game. And then we used our top three pitchers that were available to get through game two of the tournament. And, um, and so we ended up, you know, winning a couple more games there and piecing it together. And then had to beat Mount Vernon twice on the same day. And they had the conference pitcher of the year. And, uh, where the guys just played out of their mind and then got to the national tournament, beat Shreveport, 
um, and then lost to you guys uh, in a tight ball game. It was it was a really special group. It was a fun ride. Yeah, no, that was definitely. It, it, I remember that one. It was three to one, uh, and Caven Burgess uh, threw all nine in that one, and, and he was just a. I, I want to say that 2016 year was the year he had 25 home runs, and then we found out he could pitch, and then it was just like, oh, okay, <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> just totally normal. Right. Yeah. yeah, I remember it being really competitive. Yeah. It was a great game. That was that was, I think, uh, you know, it was hard to say that that was m- my favorite game of the tournament because every game was just fantastic in in that yeah. sense. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, you've got a really special team this year, Cody. I mean, what can you tell us about twenty twenty one? Well, I I think for us, we just uh, we're really benefiting from having the COVID seniors back. Um, they've done a really good job for us, and then they've been really good leaders for our younger guys. And I thought our younger guys handled quarantine really, really well uh, as far as like what they did with their time and and how they developed and got better. Um, but they're just a really tight group of guys. They responded really well. They really love each other. And we've had huge support from our assistant coaches um, who have been really intentional with our guys, both on and off the field. And then our administration, who has been wise during COVID, um, but has also provided a lot of freedom you know, which is a big reason why we played 39 games. Coach, I actually remember y'all from an opening round a couple of years ago. Y'all came down to Lawrenceville, and I remember y'all had some really good arms. Uh, this year, offensively, y'all seem to have taken it up a notch. You're actually scoring over eight runs a game, which now last year you stepped it up too. I mean, you got up to 7.7, but this is obviously the best offensive year in program history dating back in the Dax Stats era to 2006. So I guess just talk to us a little bit about your offense. When you already have 37 home runs this season, I mean, you're really clicking on that side of the ball. Well, I think we have a really good balance of, of barrel control guys and power guys. And, um, you know, I really think the trip to Southeastern was a separator for us because we have a lot of young hitters. And we went to Southeastern. Um, those guys were so good with two strikes. Uh, their ability to waste pitches and, you know, elongate at bat was really good. Our guys got to see it. And I just felt like every time we've gone out since then, our at-bats have just gotten more gritty. And I think our guys responded really well, you know, to what they saw there. And I think that's probably been the – maybe like the, the uh, kind of the cornerstone of the offense is that it's a team that hasn't given away a lot of at-bats. They really control that bat. They've been really gritty with two strikes. You know, it's kind of been, you know, a nine against against one approach. And uh, when you do that, you know, you're going to score some runs. And so they've just done a lot of things well, you know, in that regard. And I think they communicate really well with each other and just do a lot of the little stuff that that leads to, to scoring runs. Coach, you opened your season, your first seven games with Southeastern and Faulkner. You would go on a big run after that. Tell me a little bit about that opening, you know, those opening matchups, opening week, opening day for you, all that. You know, I mean, it's it's hard to go out there and, and drop the first seven, but you're seeing two of the best teams in the nation. Yeah, I think, you know, for us, like, you know, having some older guys and so forth, I mean, you know, our COVID seniors, like, they came back to, to play good teams. And they came back to, to get to our ceiling and, and see how they could help us, you know, you know, get to Lewiston. And so – you know, for them, you know, it was obviously really exciting to to get on the bus and, and go create that opportunity. I thought they just responded well from game to game. You know, it was really tough getting walked off on in the opener. 
and uh, and we lost 5-0 in the nightcap. Then when we got to Faulkner, I just felt like every inning, like our at-bats got better. I know the last game at Faulkner, uh, their left-handed pitcher that threw the no-hitter a couple weeks ago, I think we knocked him out in the fifth. I mean, he's a really, really good competitor. And so I just felt like we put together a lot of good at-bats that day, and we started to, like, figure out who we are and, you know, getting walked off on twice in three games at Faulkner, you know, it's not fun. And, uh, but I think our guys just, um, you know, they don't get too up or too down. Um, they just kind of remind each other who they are and, and how to go about their business. And so I think like whenever we play, it's not like a loss is fatal and a, and a win means that you're at your ceiling. I think with the guys, it's just like, Hey, let's go play the next game. And they've done a really good job of that. Well, Coach, a guy I remember uh, specifically from the 2018 tournament, I mean, obviously I remember Kyle Hall too, uh, but Kyle Hall's no longer with you. John mm-hmm. Young, though, I remember seeing John Young obviously threw a lot of innings for you that year, you know, made the tournament. Mm-hmm. He was really good. Obviously, I don't even know like to designate a team's ace, but he seems like he's taking over the ace role for you this year. Pitched really well, you know, and we kept you all in ball games. obviously against the best teams in the nation. I guess just talk to you a little bit about his career so far because obviously he's been a guy that's really stood out. Yeah, I mean, he came in as a converted infielder. Uh, he's thrown strikes his whole career. He threw strikes on day one. Um, he just comes from a family that is incredibly professional and, you know, has a deep level of respect for themselves and other people. So John has, like, he's had a professional routine, uh, and he's always been really competitive. And so he's always had pitchability. I mean, he beat Lindsey Wilson as a freshman when they were – you know, top 15 in the country, but every year he's come back, he's thrown harder. He's understood who he is as a pitcher more. He's somebody that we can definitely lean on. And so um, he had some tightness. We haven't pitched in the last two weeks and uh, I'm not sure of his availability this weekend, uh, but we will get him back. There's no major structure issues or anything like that. Just some tightness that we're, you know, just being precautious with, but he's pitched really well for us this year. And he's also been a really good, you know, mentor and to the younger guys and, and how he just really helped set the, the tone for the pitching staff. And his value to us definitely goes beyond what he does on the mound. But I really hope he gets a, a pro opportunity as a free agent. Um, you know, he's a guy who just fills it up and he's uh, really, really competitive. And every year he's taken another stride. So probably has one more jump left in him. Coach, another quick player I want to highlight really quickly because it just jumps off the stats page at you. Denver Blinn, he has 22 yeah. doubles. Is that correct? Like, is that legit? 22 doubles right now? He does. He does. I mean, <laughs> that is unreal. He, he's somebody we signed in the middle of the summer, uh, two summers ago. You know, I mean, wow. I mean, he's been great for us. He's done a really good job. And he really hits all types of pitching, you know. And I think that's that's one of the challenges in the NAI is that you know, there's so many different types of pitching, you know, it's hard to settle in and, and see one type of pitching, you know? And so sometimes you can have guys in your roster that handle the lower velo stuff better. Other guys handle the high velo stuff better. Some guys can only handle the stuff that's in the middle of those two worlds. Right. And uh, I mean, he handles, he handles all pitching and he's just a really professional hitter. And, and he's another kid that's just like, he loves the game. He doesn't take himself too serious. And, you know, he helps us lead the league in fun. Coach, you know, I, I really want to ask about 
a couple, two things really quickly. Ty Thixton has nine home runs on the season, but more than anything, the, the Crossroads League in general, you know, that's really impressive for him to have because that is the second lowest conference ERA uh, in the NAI for the Crossroads League. You know, tell me a little bit about the pitching in the Crossroads League that's not just your team, but all the teams in, the, in that league, uh, as well as, as some of the, you know, hitting from Thixton this year. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly competitive arms in the league. And the Crossroads League historically is in that bottom third of, like, total home runs in the country as well. Um, I think when you're playing in the Midwest, you get some pretty questionable weather, you know, and that you got to play certain games in and so forth that can really dictate outcome. Um, I remember having teams where you'd go down south on a spring trip and play seven games and hit the bulk of your home runs in the southern yards, you know, and then go back north and, you know, maybe even have to play small ball and you haven't done it yet that year, you know. And so, but no, I mean, there's competitive arms. Um, I think the league's really benefited from the COVID uh, seniors because you just see like a lot more older guys in the league and, you know, we have scouting reports on those guys, but then when they come out and compete, like they're different than their scouting report, you know, and it's like, you know, a pitcher went ahead and, you know, touched up his breaking ball over the last, you know, eight to 10 months. Somebody found velocity uh, or another pitcher really just learned how to pitch, right? How do I pitch to my strength, you know, and stop losing in my weakness? And so you've just seen a lot of growth that way. Obviously, you know, Taylor and Huntington are going to run out, you know, really, really good weekend arms. From that standpoint, it's very competitive and um, you definitely have to control your at-bats and, and understand how to play the game. And, you know, Ty's another guy who he's more of a doubles guy, a barrel control guy, um, but he's got strength. And so, you know, he can still run the ball out of the yard. He's not trying to, but he's fully capable of doing it. Coach, a big one this weekend, Indiana Wesleyan, Taylor, y'all are 14 and one at home and overall on the season, 18 and two in Crossroads League play, Taylor 17 and three in Crossroads League play. It's going to be a fantastic matchup. Walk me through it. Yeah, I mean, two clubs that put a lot of effort into, you know, trying to get to their ceilings, you know, as a program and. Um, I think there's a lot of respect on both sides for, you know, how both teams go about development, recruiting, getting their teams ready, that type of thing. And so, you know, I think for us, it's just fun to play for something. You know, anytime you can get to April and the games still matter, that's a good thing. And so um, we don't see the weekend as a, you know, your whole season doesn't, you know, rely on the weekend. It's an important series, um, but it's not uh, – it's not your entire season, but um, but it's fun. We're going to have great weather, uh, which is, you know, hit or miss in the Midwest. And um, we've got a great facility, and there's going to be a lot of people coming out to the game. And, uh, you know, both teams are, are very competitive on the mound, and both teams have age, and, and both teams have played a good non-conference schedule. And so, you know, I think both teams will show up and, and be prepared and, and certainly compete all four games of the series. I couldn't agree more, Coach. Honestly, really impressed with the way you and Taylor challenged yourself out of conference this year. I kind of want to know basically what you told the guys after you started 0-7. Obviously, you know, had a close game in Southeastern, really close game in Southeastern, had a chance to take a game off Faulkner. So you played pretty well. 
And then you go on a run, you win 29 of your next 32. I mean, I think that if you found out you were going to be 29 and 10 after you started 0 and 7, you probably would have taken it. And uh, so your first place in conference, you get to host the second place conference team in Taylor, who's been really good this year as well. I guess just what was your mindset after the 0 and 7 approach? And is this where you want to be? I mean, with everything laid out in front of you? Yeah, I mean, the mindset, you know, really was just about, hey, what were the takeaways that were positive? And, you know, we talked with our guys, like, we, before practice, um, when we feel like we have to kind of dive into stuff, we'll break off into position groups and have our position coaches spend time with our position groups. And, you know, those guys will dive in, and then we'll all come together and then dive into, like, whatever the corporate message is for the entire team. And there was a ton of self-awareness in the room. You know, we weren't having to tell the guys, like, what the strengths were or what the problems were. Um, they, they were they were saying them, and, and they knew the solutions to them. And so we just took inventory of all the things that went well in that series and the one or two things that had to be better. And then we just went to work. And so, you know, again, they, they just responded well. Uh, it's been a group that's had a lot of self-awareness all year um, to be able to identify, hey, what's happening and then what's the right solution to go about it. They've had a lot of ownership that way. And so for us, I mean, that's really just how we looked at it was like, hey, this is positive because everything that's happened these last seven games is true. You know, it's different than playing somebody who beats themselves. You don't learn as much about yourself. When you play somebody that doesn't beat themselves, whatever happens is the truth. And so what came out of that was the truth. And so our guys were okay with that, and uh, they responded really well to it. And it's created kind of a focus and an accountability and a couple of different areas of the game that that seem to matter the most. Indiana Wesleyan head baseball coach Rich Benjamin has been our guest here on the NAI Ball Podcast. Coach, thank you for taking some time out of your day to uh, talk with us here on the NAI Ball Podcast. We really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you covering us. And a huge thanks to Coach Rich Benjamin who joined us on the NAI Ball Podcast. Cody, a big one coming up this weekend with Taylor in Indiana Wesleyan, and this is the first time we've ever had this where we have. Two, both head coaches join us on the show as they get ready to play each other. And it is thrilled. This is something that we have talked about since the beginning of the year. We are thrilled to have head baseball coach at Taylor, Coach Kyle Gold, join us now on the NAI Ball Podcast. Joining us now on the NAI Ball Podcast is another NAI lifer himself, all the way from Taylor University, the headband himself, head baseball coach at Taylor, Coach Kyle Gold. Coach, man, thank you for joining us, taking some time out of your day. It has been absolutely fantastic. This is something that Cody and I have wanted to do this year, and this is the perfect weekend we feel to have you on the show. So welcome on into the NAI Ball Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate you. Uh, all you do, all your coverage of NAI baseball, and you make it a, a lot more fun for the players, a lot of fun to play, and a lot of fun to follow the teams around the country. So appreciate you having me on and talking a little bit about Taylor. Coach, you know, that's kind of where I want to start is Taylor because you're a lifer. I mean, you, you played there. Tell me a little bit about your decision to play there. And then on top of that, you know, to you transitioned at a young age to the head baseball coach. You know, my playing career is, is not worth talking about at all, but it, uh, Taylor's meant a lot to my life. You know, I, I tell people all the time that I met my wife at Taylor and the, the best people I've met in my life are, are Taylor baseball guys, guys I got to play with and, and guys I've been fortunate enough to coach. So, Going to Taylor was an easy decision uh, for me, and then uh, I left for one year. I came back as the assistant coach, and then 
actually started when I was, uh, I was 24. So my, my first year as the head coach, the, the seniors on the team I had actually played with when I was a senior. And that's, that's kind of how it started. And here in year 17, still, uh, still at Taylor and, and, and blessed to be here. Coach, I kind of want to jump into your scheduling. I think it's one of the best things about y'all is y'all have been all over the map this year, even with everything going on in the world. Uh, you know, you're, you've been able to go out safely and play baseball. Uh, you've been to Georgia. You've been to uh, Arizona and you've had some success in Arizona. You've had some good trips to Arizona. I mean, you know, even a win last year uh, in a shortened season against LCSC, you had some good wins this year. You've had a lot of of good runs and you've gotten to see different teams across the nation. You've gotten to see really probably more teams nationally than most of the teams in, you know, in the entire country. You've been to uh, Georgia, you've been to Tennessee, you've been to Arizona, you've been all over the map and you've got some really good wins this year. Talk to me about your scheduling. Well, we have a unique thing with our January term that, um, and it pushes our spring break late. So we've just, uh, you know, we've gone down to South Florida a couple of years, been out to Arizona. We, just, we care a lot about the experience we provide for our players uh, as, as well as playing at the highest level we can. And so, you know, we go out to Arizona for two weeks. We, we uh, stay in some houses. We just do VRBO and, and, and practice every day. And we try to play the, the best West Coast teams we can. And then, you know, we got to go, uh, go play Bethel, Tennessee on the road, which, which was a really uh, good experience. And then we were signed up to go to the Southeast Rumble with Gwinnett and uh, Reinhardt. The weather canceled that thing, but we were still – still able to play a perfect game with Reinhardt. So uh, it's a blast to go play people from all over the country and, and just see how baseball is played everywhere and challenge ourselves. I think we've gotten to play the last uh, four years when you take, uh, you know, St. Thomas and Kaiser down in Florida and then play Benu Mesa and LC State and Westmont and Arizona Christian and many others out there. And we, we've gotten to play some beautiful facilities. We opened this year at the Angels Spring Training Complex and then played in the Arizona Christian Tournament. So I, I think it's a great thing for – for our players just to go see what it looks like, see what good baseball looks like. And it's a great experience along the way. Well, coach, and you've been successful doing it. One of my best friends, Jeff Moyer, who's an assistant at Reinhardt, he told me like right after y'all series, he's like, Hey, their pitching is legit. I kind of want you to talk to me about your starting rotation. Obviously y'all been elite, one of the best in the country tops in the conference. I guess just talk to us about Luke, Noah, and Joe, just like some of those players. They've just been really special. You got a sub three ERA. Yeah, well, that's that's nice of Jeff to say after they swept us. But we, you know, we played tight games. Our our pitching's been really good, um, and, and we've been able to stay fairly healthy, which which I think is is a big deal. But but Joe Moran, Noah Houston, Luke Shively have have kind of headlined the staff. Um, you know, and if you look at national leaders and, and our team, I think we're third in ERA, third in opponents average, and third in strikeouts. And those three guys have been just incredibly consistent and really good. And then kind of the depth of it, you know, we have Mitch Ubler. Um, and uh, Garrett Simmons out of the bullpen, and, and Drake Gongwer's been great, and uh, Luke Carlson's had some big outings, and Matt Dukowski's been really good, and Tucker Waddups has pitched in big spots. So we feel like we have depth, uh, and we feel like our front-end guys have, have, have velocity, have movement, um, and they're good competitors, and they've, they've definitely led the way for us this year. Well, I mean, I would say so. I mean, you have a sub-200 batting average against. That's literally incredible to have. That's USAO 2019-type numbers. And you mentioned Noah Huseman. I mean, the guy's really been untouchable. He's only given up 27 hits in 47 innings. People are hitting 170. It's amongst the best in the country. Noah's an incredible story. He threw two innings for us his freshman year. You know, he pitched a little more as a sophomore. He, he spent a summer out at Eric Cressy's place out in Boston. Him and Drake Gongwer went out there. And he's it, it, it just totally a self-made guy. And, 
you know, you look at those numbers and he's pitched against some great teams. You know, he pitched against Ben U, he pitched against Reinhardt, he pitched against Bethel. He's, he's, he's really challenged himself, but he's got, he's got good stuff. His velocity has gone up, good breaking ball and a great change up and uh, is just a great competitor. And so him and Luke Shively are, you know, um, fourth year guys, um, had big wins for us last year early. Uh, Luke beat LC State, Noah beat Westmont. And then, you know, we added Joe Moran, who's a grad transfer. Um, and I, I think a lot of it, I think you're seeing some different teams play a lot better this year. And I think a lot of it is we've been able to add a few fifth-year guys. And, you know, we're a predominantly four-year school. Um, and so we're always young. And, and I think a lot of the top 10 teams, you guys know this, it's very transfer-heavy. And so mm-hmm. instead of 18, 19-year-olds playing 21, 22, 23-year-olds, I think it's leveled a little bit. And so Luke and Noah are fourth-year guys. Mitch and Garrett and Joe are fifth-year guys. Tucker's a fifth-year guy. Luke's a third-year guy. And I think that experience just plays a huge role in it. Coach, talk to me a little bit about your staff, uh, you know, your staff of coaches, especially on the pitching side. Uh, we talked before we started the, you know, this interview that the Crossroads League has the second-best ERA in, for a conference in all of the NAI. You are on pace to set, you know, be – the best, if not one of the top two pitching seasons uh, for Taylor in the Dak Stats era, which starts in 2006. You know, talk to me a little bit about what goes into that process in developing these pitchers. Yeah, I mean, if I'm going to talk about our staff, like we, you know, everyone in the country has had a lot of tough things the last year. But but for us, like one of our assistant coaches, a huge mentor of mine, passed away this year. Um, Coach Atkinson, who's, who's been uh, one of my coaches, uh, we coached together for 15 years, and so that's that's something we've had to just deal with. And um, but but as far as our assistant coaches, like it's a little bit unique. Our pitching coach is uh, Justin Barber. He does an incredible job with our pitchers. He's very progressive. Um, I, I think one really unique thing we've gotten two guys who had Tommy John back up on the mound with higher velocity than before in less than nine months. Um, he has a very unique program that he does. He does a great job. And then our, our other assistant coach is Devin Wilburn, who, who was our pitching coach uh, through the 2018 season. He coached, you know, Matt Patton, who was an All-American, um, left us for a couple of years. Um, last year was down in Tampa, was a head coach at a big high school and came back. So obviously, um, you know, Devin pitched at Ball State. And so obviously the other two guys are, are very pitching minded. And so, you know, our practices, our recruiting, everything starts on the mound and um, is very much geared that way. And th- those two both do a great job with everything they do. And uh, they're they're a lot of fun to be around, and um, you know I'm I'm just blessed to be able to work with them. Coach, offensively, Connor Crawford and TJ Bass really lead the way for you. What what does it take for them to really get up for y'all? Yeah, I, another u- unique thing we talked about our schedule. Uh, the Crossroads League moved from 27 games to 36 this year, so we we just made the decision. We, we've played no midweek games. We've done a series starting in the middle of January straight through, and so I think offensively, we we probably thought we would do a little better, a little bit better earlier than we did. Um, but we saw good arm after good arm after good arm, like all year It's just, there were no breaks to it. And I think we're really starting to come out of it. Um, we've, we've played better the last couple of weeks, but Connor's had a great year. You know, TJ has hit third for us pretty much since he got here as a freshman and, and he's really talented. Nick Rushi has been great for us at the top of the order. And, you know, Joe Moran also DH is for us. He's coming on. And, you know, I just, I think, I think the, the, the strength of our team is we think we can hit one through nine. Um, and there, there's been some struggles early, but we are, we are really seeing some light at the end of the tunnel and some guys are really starting to swing it well and hope that goes through April and May. 
What was your goal coming into this season with this group team? Obviously, you're playing really well. You're 17-3 in conference. You have everything to play for ahead of you. I guess, what was your goal entering the season, and how would you access those goals so far? I'm uh, not, like, really big on just setting, like, a just one goal and let's just do everything for that. I, You know, we just talked to him a lot last year, starting a year ago. I mean, you know, you think back on how the season ended, and we just really tried to challenge our guys and said, hey, this is going to be the best year in Taylor, Taylor baseball history, the best year. And, and really started preaching that in April when everybody was home and, and not able to see each other, not able to do anything. And then through the summer, June and July, and then we came back. We had a great fall season. We had eight uninterrupted weeks, um, got to play a lot. So we're, you know, we want, like everybody else, we want to we wanna be in the postseason and, and, and be in an opening round. And I, I think our, our pitching is good enough that we can compete with people. And we'd, we'd like to have a chance to, to make it to Lewiston. We've never done it. Um, I think that's what every NAI program uh, sets out to do. And it's um, – it's something we would we would love to have the opportunity to compete to do, but obviously there's a ton of baseball left, and and we have to do a lot of things really well in the regular season. Uh, the conference tournaments have an opportunity to do that. A huge matchup with Indiana Wesleyan this weekend. It is going to be a big one. You're one game back of Indiana Wesleyan with a four game series coming up. Walk me through this series. Yeah, you know, um, obviously they're having a great year. They're 18 and two in conference, and 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 we're 17 and three. And um, you know, we lost all three of them in one day, actually. So I, I think both of us probably would have taken at the beginning of the year. We'd have, we'd have felt great about being 17 and three, but um, they're they're talented and um, they they they've won a lot of games, and and I'm I'm sure we'll get their best shot. And we're just you know trying to get ready and 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 hopefully play our best baseball of the season this weekend uh, over there in Indiana Wesleyan. 14 and we both of y'all are really good at home. Indiana Wesleyan 14 and 1, Taylor 16 and 0. Uh on the road obviously a lot of traveling for y'all at the, at the beginning of the season this year. Uh what's it like? You know, obviously I know what y'all's facility looks like. I've gotten to watch it uh opening round tournament. You know, but how do you get the guys really rolling to to head over for that that ball game? I don't know how far apart y'all are. Yeah. Well, luckily it's a 15 minute drive over to Indiana Wesleyan. So wow. we are we're we're in the same county, you know. We're we're uh, we're neighbors, so that part will be pretty simple. We'll just hop in vans and head over there. Um, yeah, I mean, we like like most people, we'd love to play every game at home, but uh, you know, it'll be a nice place to play. And you know, I, like I said, I expect they'll play really well, and and hopefully we play really well. And um, you know, we're just we're just trying to play our best baseball the year this weekend, and and have a chance to keep keep moving forward here the last uh, 16 games of the conference season. You've been in NAI baseball for a long time. Not calling you old, as you said off here. Not calling you old. You've been around a while. You know, you've been around. This is your 17th season as a head coach in the NAI. You obviously played at Taylor. What, like, is your takeaway from NAI baseball? I guess, how have you seen the game grown? It's it's better than it's ever. It's better than it's been. And, like, uh, you know, I know there was, a, there was a stretch there, and it's kind of slowed down where teams were leaving and going Division II. Um, but you've seen some teams have incredible performances against Division II schools this year. I just think, like, uh, you know, all the, you know, all the coaches, all the old people love to rag on this, this generation of people, but man, they throw the ball harder. They hit the ball harder. They run faster. Like they're better players than we were and they work incredibly hard to do it. Um, and so I really enjoy it. And like we talked about their schedule, we've gotten to see kids from California, Arizona, Georgia, Ohio, Tennessee, Indiana, all, all over the place. And I think it just shows you there's good players everywhere. Um, and the level of play is really good. And it's, it's something like when we, you know, in recruiting and you're, you're trying to explain what the NAI is, like it's really something you got to get people on to practice or to games and to see it and to actually understand, like, 
mm-hmm. hey, this Friday game here, there are going to be some – like, it's not a game for, for boys, you know. It's a game for, for grown men, and, and you better be ready to get in the box and face really good pitching and, and face really good hitters. I mean, obviously there's a wide variance from the, from the top five to the bottom five, but I think the, the level of play across the board keeps going up and up, and I think it's a really – fun level of of baseball and like I said you guys just make it more fun like everybody follows you on Twitter and 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 thinks you guys are funny and and just loves keeping up with it and gets to know the names and listens to your podcast and I just think it's it's made it more fun and it's been a really positive thing I think you guys have added so much to to NAI baseball and I, I know I speak for a lot of people we just appreciate everything you do yeah, it's very nice of you. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it too and and you know I'm a big believer in what you said and unless you experience it you don't get the full effect of it. Um, you know, it's one of those things that we, I went to Victoria, Texas this weekend. The, the closest programs to me are 250 miles away uh, from where I live in South Texas. And I make that drive. It's a day drive. It's a four hour trip to Victoria. It's a four hour trip to San Antonio. Uh, I drive up from the border, um, get harassed by border patrol. And I, <laughs> I, you know, make it to my destination and, and watch a ball game. And Texas Wesleyan's third starter, I, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what to expect. But I did not expect Texas Wesleyan's number three starter to be hitting 95 miles an hour in his 75th pitch of the game to be mm-hmm. 94. You know, uh, unless you get out there and experience it, I didn't have any idea what the NAI was until I went to go watch Northwood Texas play uh, UT Brownsville. And I saw Johnny Aldas hit three home runs in the same game, and I was like, "Holy cow! I want to be, I want to be, you know, part of that." Yeah. So I, I just think that it's, it's incredible, and I, we definitely, we, we thank you for your words. Yeah, I mean, we had the chance when we played a perfect game. You know, Tennessee Wesleyan and IU Southeast were on the field next to us, and you know, those guys are, and we played Reinhardt, and those guys are all friends of mine, and we're, you know, we got to watch them play, and there were some scouts there, guys I know, and they kind of made the comment like. Hey, do you think the average person has any idea what they'd be walking into, like trying to play against Tennessee Wesleyan or or IU Southeast or teams like that? It's like, no, they they don't know, but that's okay. Like, they, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be on ESPN to be awesome, you know, or to be great and to be to be a ton of fun. And so I just, you know, I've, I just appreciate the level very much. I, I mean, I agree completely. You look at a team like a team up north in D two, Wayne State. So they open their season against an AI team, who's obviously not Southeastern. And then you know they get a couple of wins against the NAI, and then they go play Southeastern, and then they get absolutely hammered. I mean, they get run ruled. Southeastern puts up seventeen. They call it quits after seven. People can be surprised when you play the right team on the wrong day, man. But we saw it with Lawrence Tech in Michigan. I will never. Like me and Rob, never forget that. that. Never forget it. In the next year, what was Michigan doing? They had the World Series. But people don't remember this, dude. When Michigan lost to Lawrence Tech, people don't remember this, but I don't know what their coach said to them after the game. (laughs) They won 20 in a row. They literally went on a 20 game win streak after that. And then literally the next year, they went to the College World Series and were in the final against Vanderbilt. So, uh, yeah, shout out to Lawrence Tech for their motivation. I think that they should have got something in the mail. But we're really proud of uh, (laughs) the NAI just for playing really well. Like you said, we've gotten a lot of really good wins over D2 this year. And, uh, yeah, like I said, before we let you go, I'd like to be curious just to hear your thoughts finally on, like, where NAI baseball was talent-wise in 2002 in like 1999, 2001 to where it is now. And if it's better, then say it's better. I just don't know. I would love to hear someone that experienced. Yeah. Well, Cody, you've made me feel old like five times. So I really appreciate <laughs> that. Um, no, it's just like, you know, the guys who I played with, um, there just wasn't the like depth of it. Like everybody had a guy, you know, and it was a lot of like Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, seven inning double, double headers. And so everybody had like a guy. But I go back and look at the stats, like no one struck anybody out. 
And, you know, you'd, you'd see games, it's like, you know, it's two, a 70 double header and there was like six or seven strikeouts. But I'll, guys I'm friends with, guys will come back and like watch games and be like, hey, man, I'm not sure I'd play much right now. It's like, no, you definitely wouldn't. You, you would definitely not. And that's why we weren't very good because you were playing. So I, I'm sure you can find the, you know, I know Oklahoma City and Cumberland were winning like 90 games a year back then. But I think the, the rank and file NAI, like, you just weren't going to see kids, even 10, 12 years ago, like in the Crossroads League, there'd be one, maybe two kids throwing 90 miles an hour. Now there, there's a bunch, you know, and like, um, I still remember coaching. I remember the first time we had a kid touch 90. I thought it was like a huge deal. Well, it's, it's not anymore. Like those, those pitchers are just um, at, at a lot of places and there's places that have a whole bunch of them. And I just think that's kind of where you've seen the growth of the game. It's kind of in the middle, you know, the middle tier of the NAI and like kind of the, um, you know, maybe spots like 21 through 100. It's just so much better, and, and there aren't the free wins. And uh, I just I just think the talent level has gone way, way up since 100 years ago when I played, Cody. Well, I appreciate I appreciate that, Coach. I, I'm glad to know that uh, NAI baseball is on the rise, man. That's all we want here is represent the brand. And uh, you said, like you said, there's a stigma with NAI, and we're trying to change it. And, you know, obviously you're doing your part. You bring in those guys that are sitting there throwing the way you are throwing on the mound. I can't wait for this series this weekend. I am looking forward to it. Indiana Wesley and Taylor, just off the little undercover story here, man. This has been our big series of the week, like a month in advance. Yeah, for like a while. I, I, I told Robbie like a month ago, I was like, yeah, we're going to lock in. And I actually got duped. I thought it was last weekend, got super excited. I was wrong. Turns out it was this weekend. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm really excited for that. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Well, Coach, definitely thank you for joining us here on the NAI Ball Podcast, taking some time out of your day. And uh, we're definitely, definitely thankful that you were able to uh, join us really we've been looking forward to the series for a long time so uh you know thank you for running it by and, and talking to us about it appreciate uh appreciate what you guys do appreciate your time and, and getting to talk a little bit about taylor so a huge thank you to both indiana wesleyan head baseball coach rich benjamin and taylor university head baseball coach kyle gold for joining us cody let's jump right back into the show the NAI ball hitter and pitcher of the week. Our hitter of the week is Northwestern Iowa third baseman Colton Harold. He went 10 for 15, seven runs, three doubles, four home runs, and 13 RBIs. Our, our pitcher of the week is out of USAO starting pitcher Ricardo Velez threw a no-hitter versus Wayland Baptist with 15 punch-outs. Quickly, tell me something about these guys. Uh, Harold's been a dude, man. He's a guy that had a walk-off home run at U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis. I first saw his name there, and I was like, okay, dude's got some juice. And that follows it up with a huge week for him. So shout out to him, man. Just really good third baseman for them. And Velez, like we talked about earlier, Solomon Lewis in nasty slider, impressive stuff. We you know we talk about Wayland Baptist and their offense all the time with Luis Vargas and Marco Rivera and Gregory Ozuna. And just really good stuff, man. Obviously, go out there, you strike out 15 and in seven innings. Your your stuff is on. They were not able to touch his slider. Shout out to him for the no-hitter. Really incredible. So congratulations to Northwestern's Colton Harold and congratulations to USAO's Ricardo Velez, our hitter and pitcher of the week on the NAI Ball Podcast, respectively. Cody, it is that time of the week, as anybody could not have guessed it already. Our big series of the week takes us up north, a series that will be hosted by Indiana Wesleyan. It'll be absolutely fantastic. Indiana Wesleyan and Taylor, we had both coaches on already. And, of course, our big series of the week is brought to you by our friends over at Silverback Sports, shopsilverback.com and at shopsilverback for socials. Indiana Wesleyan, let's break this down really quickly. 29-10, and 18-2 and in Crossroads League play, a 308 team average, a 468 team ERA, 
Denver Blinn is hitting 392 with 58 hits, six home runs, 22 doubles in 40 RBIs. Ty Thixton hitting 351 with 54 hits, nine home runs, 41 RBIs. John Young on the mound has been absolutely fantastic this year with a 177 ERA, a 4-0 record, 40 and two-thirds innings pitch, and 41 strikeouts. For Taylor Cody, 28 and 9, 17 and 3. One game separates these teams in crossroad league standings. The next closest team is five games back. 266 team average for Taylor. 287 team ERA. That's one of the best in the nation. TJ Bass is hitting 313 with 42 hits, six home runs, 32 RBIs. Noah Huseman has a 133. ERA with a five and one record, 47 and a third innings pitch, 60 strikeouts. And then Joe Moran, 256 ERA, a six and two record, 56 and a third innings pitch, 79 punch outs. Cody, this is this is a big series in Crossroads baseball. Absolutely massive. We've had this one on our docket for over a few weeks now. They both started 12 and 0 in conference play, and we were like, yep, that's going to be our big series in a couple of weeks. Uh, everything you want, honestly. You got the number one offensive team in the conference, Indiana Wesleyan, the number one pitching team, Taylor. So it's good on good. You got the best pitching versus the best hitting. Indiana Wesleyan has a couple of dudes on their staff as well. Austin Swift, John Young, as you mentioned, 18 and two versus 17 and three. These guys have been lights out in conference play. They have clearly separated themselves as not only two best teams in the conference, but they're both ranked nationally, two of the best teams across the entire nation. Uh, Four games. I love the four game series. I really do. Looking at this matchup overall, Taylor dominates this series. It's not even close, like, overall. But let's go back to the last 10. It's 5-5. Five and five. Last 10 meetings between these two teams, 5-5. Five and five. So you know it's going to be good, man. You're going to get two teams really going after it. The winner of this series, let's be honest, because it's a four-game series, you're going to have to win three to win the series. If you win three in this series, you got to love your chances to win the regular season title. I mean, I think you'd have to agree with that, Robbie, because if Taylor wins three in this conference, they're going to be two up. If they sweep, they're three up. And then obviously Indiana Wesleyan, if they win three, there's a good bit of distance, and that's going to be four games up. And I don't know, I don't think Taylor can cash them honestly. I don't, not if they win the series. So I think so much is on the line this weekend. I know the coaches are going to downplay it. That's their job to do that. That's not our job. We're not going to downplay it. This is a massive series. Here's something for you, Cody. 14 and one is the Indiana Wesleyan record at home. Taylor on the road is 12 and nine. That's something to keep keep you know something to keep in mind as we go into the series. Both of these teams at home are very impressive. Indiana Wesleyan 14 and 1. Taylor is 16 and 0. Indiana Wesleyan 13 and 9 on the road. Taylor 12 and 9 on the road. Granted, they both played some really tough schedules this year uh, that have not worked out really uh, for Indiana Wesleyan. Seven of those nine losses are on the road to Southeastern and Faulkner. It's going to be a really good series, man. I'm really excited for this one because this we are seeing some really high level baseball out of the crossroads league this year and rich benjamin said something that's really stuck in my mind where he said that power wise this is one of the bottom third conferences in the nation power wise but as far as conference era goes they are number two nationally the entire conference number two nationally for era like their entire conference's era ranks second in the nai and that is definitely, definitely, definitely something to keep, you know, an eye on because only the southern states by twelve thousandths of a point, really, uh twelve hundredths of a point, excuse me, has a better conference ERA 
than the Crossroads League. So there is some really good pitching going on in the Crossroads League this year. I mean, you're absolutely right. Huntington, they're the third place team in the conference who actually took a series off Taylor. Huntington's a really good team. Obviously, they've been really good pitching-wise. They have a 387 team ERA. Marion, we've known Marion ever since they had Matt Burlington a couple of years ago, and he was a legit ace. So, yeah, I mean, Crossroads League can always pitch. I'm stoked for this series. There's not a series in the country I'm looking forward to more. I think it's going to be really good. I really do. I think you're going to get the best from both of these teams. I don't think that they'll admit it, but I think this is the one on the docket. They've known it all along. I don't think – I mean, let's – come on. Who kid yourself? I mean, you're looking up at the San Diego a couple of weeks ago. You're both 12-0. and 0. You know you play in two weekends. Stayed consistent. 18-2, and 17-3. Like I said, I think this series will decide the crossroads regular season. 100% agree, Cody. Man, we've had a good show this week. Before we get going, any final thoughts? I just think it's going to be good. If we're going to look out to another series, check out the AMC. Columbia and Missouri Baptist play this weekend. That's the number one and number two team in the American Midwest. They would have been our runner-up big series of the week. That's definitely going to be a good one. It is going to be another fantastic week of NAI baseball, and you need to be downloading the NAI Ball podcast. And we thank you for listening every single week. To get a hold of Cody Butler, all you have to do is Follow at NAI Ball on Twitter and Instagram for all of your new stat scores 24-7, 365 days a year to talk some NAI baseball with me. Robbie Gutierrez, the host of the NAI Ball podcast, at RobG1063 on Twitter as well. Folks, that'll do it for us this week. A great show that we had. We had plenty to talk about. We had two great coaches join us on the show. So until next time, we hope you have a great week and an even better tomorrow. Stay safe, everyone.